since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Big Spot. And we are here today to discuss my favorite Shakespeare play. This Cymbeline. is your favorite? Yeah, you didn't know that? Oh my gosh. No, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. I love Cymbeline. Okay. okay. I can tell you why when we get to it. Okay. Or now, if you want to just no, postpone no, we'll, this. No, we'll, no, we'll get there eventually. Um, yeah, it's Cymbeline. It's it's another late romance. It's uh, it's a weird play. Uh, yeah. I've, I think we've been saying that a lot lately. Well, I, I don't know. It's not weird. Define weird. What do you mean by weird? It's not what you're taught in high school... Shakespeare class, which is, I think, the cultural imprint that a lot of us take when we go to see Shakespeare is like, you've got this nice little thing with either a, a murder-suicide or a wedding at the end, <laughs> and it's neither of those things. It's it's a much more uh, complex play than, well, than your typical comedy or It is a problem tragedy. play. It is a problem so, play. So, I mean, it's not like this is wholly outside the realm of what's expected. It comes in between, well, there, there are three to four problem plays. Yeah, around that. Some people, Between, some people yeah. list. Well, Antony and Cleopatra is kind of a history play, but yeah, it falls into like yeah, it nah, did, it's it, more of a. It is, but it did have some elements that are kind of outside of the typical history that we'd seen so far. But um, or Pericles might Pericles. might fall. That might be the yeah. other one. Um, and then Winter's Tale, Cymbeline, and then our last one will be The, the Tempest, Tempest next yeah. week. So yeah. or next next play episode. Play episode. Yeah. Last yeah. play episode, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fit neatly into any box. Um, it also has a few quite long and drawn out plots that intertwine. It's a it's a fairly long play. It is. It's about it's about four thousand words long, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a little bit less than that. Yeah. But it's uh, and and quite tightly packed with a lot of plot in there. there. Is I a think lot. Aiden, you described it best as. <laughs> Uh, about an hour ago, you said it's a very plot-heavy play, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you don't say, um, uh, yeah, and uh, but it, but it is it is an enjoyable play, I think anyway. Yeah, and it you... does feature some really interesting characters and tropes that we've seen in other plays, like the uh, father daughter or the family yeah. issues you're having, and you've got uh, cross-dressing heroine. It's a, definitely a, a trouser role of Imogen here, or breeches role. Yeah, I don't let's remember go what they're the breaches. called. Sure. Um, yeah, and mistaken identities and long lost children, and it's very late Shakespeare. It's, yeah. it's there's even of, a Deus Ex Machina. Yes, I mean, it literal really, Deus Ex. Machina. It has it all. I mean, yeah. it's it's really a yeah. It's it's a it's a strange but you know very Shakespearean play in a way. It it it, it does borrow all those elements that we've seen many many times, times over the over the course. But of does this, it in but, like a mature kind of yeah. way? But also, as the Folger essay says, um, kind of a sensationalistic way. There's a lot of spectacle here. Yeah. The aforementioned Deus Ex Machina, yeah. Jupiter literally yeah. descending from Mount Olympus, exactly. to or you know Clotin's head being yeah. tossed around on stage a little bit. Uh, so yeah, that's. 
it's um it's got a little bit of something for everyone, I think. Yeah, and and before we go too far, Lindsay, <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't remind you that it is your turn oh, to do I know. the uh, thirty second synopsis. I asked for thirty seconds per plot. Aiden <laughs> said no, so that's that was too generous. Uh, I think we you don't can do have it. an hour for yeah. Plot well, exactly. I, I think I think you can do it well, yeah. um, Lindsay. Whenever you're ready, just let me know. I will start the timer. Okay. And go. So Cymbeline, king of Britain, punishes his daughter by banishing his son-in-law, who goes to Rome and makes a bet about his wife's chastity. It does not go well. Meanwhile, uh, the emperor is demanding tribute from Cymbeline in Britain, and he refuses. And Rome decides to invade. It does not go well. (laughs) Finally, uh, his daughter Imogen uh, runs off to Wales to escape her evil stepmother and other people who are trying to kill her. She's dressed as a boy. She comes across her kidnapped long-lost brothers, promptly, quote-unquote, dies. It does not go well. And then everyone reconverges in Cymbeline's court. Hilarity ensues. That was really fucking good. Thanks. I mean, you were really into it. Uh, I was glancing at the uh, volume meter. Uh, as you were oh. going and it, you were off the charts a little uh, bit because you were in it and I, I was there for you Lindsay, because that was amazing uh, there's no way I could have done no, <laughs> me I'd have... still be in the first scene like you know this I would have so and so named there. this who's son of this and born in this place in this year I, mean, I think he has blonde hair and yeah it's just like <laughs> this is where I'd be at so thank you Lindsay for doing that because uh, oh my god this was and one I missed of the most things crazy. like that's the thing you missed a the lot the whole the whole thing like uh, the mm. subplot with um Yakimo going and hiding in the chest like all the oh, big yeah. the big monumental like when you when you if you've read Cymbeline the things that would stick the in your thing brain, that stick yeah. in your head like the, yeah. the the really powerful visuals right yeah. there are a few really good scenes like um yeah Yakimo uh hiding in the chest at the foot of uh, Imogen's bed and like creeping out and like spying on her while she sleeps to try and get in as much information as he can to bring back to her husband in exile to say yeah I totally slept with your wife even though he doesn't but he wants to it's creepy yeah. so like that image and then there's like uh, her brothers yeah. with Darius and Arvaragus Arvaragus sure. Sure. Um, singing their death lament over her body in the in the yeah, cave. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's the most famous part of the play. And it's, like, this, you know, pretty spectacular scene. Um, Imogen waking up to Clot and her stepbrother. We didn't even talk about the stepbrother. Oh, my God. The stepbrother's <laughs> body beheaded wearing her husband's clothes. And yeah, she, thinks she thinks it's, it's her, her husband, husband. And she yeah. starts, like, you know, convulsing in pity and sorrow over yeah. his dead body, even though he was coming there to rape her. Like, it's... Yeah. These are the I mean, standout he, images. Po- well, and Posthumus is one of like the main characters, and you mentioned him as being like his son-in-law. Yes, I know. son-in-law, right? Like, well, Imogen is, is the most important character. Imogen, so. Imogen is. I she think got she, she got name checked. It's true, um, but less than Cymbeline, who is not the girl in the play. I was thrown for a loop right, right off the bat, yeah. and he hardly appears. He is. He's there how in this the beginning. Is named after him, I have no idea. Because he's there at the start of the Roman plot, and then he's there at the very end. Yeah. And he's a that's it. And he's a non-character, really. Like he's mad at he's mad at his daughter Imogen for yeah. marrying this lower-born man uh, who he's raised. So I mean, in yeah. fairness, this is kind of a little creepy that you know you fall in love with the the kid. That, yeah, they're like the stepsister almost, or like yeah, yeah like yeah. she'll fall in love with that stepbrother, but not yeah. Clotten. Yeah, uh, we can talk about that, yes, like the, exactly. the posthumous Clotten. Yeah. 
Clotin? Clotin? Clotin. We yeah. can never really figure out how to say um, his name. So some quick background on the play itself. Uh, it is based on a historical figure, Cymbeline was, uh, a king, in quotes, yeah. air quotes, of Britain during like the time. a regional king? Yeah. I like his name was Cunobolin or something. Yeah. So. It, was, it was basically like a bunch of tribes mm-hmm. uh, all swore kind of allegiance to him. Uh, but he, in turn, was a client state of Rome the entire time. So it was, time. It was during the Roman period. Yes. This, okay. Yes. So okay. That, that, that actually lines up pretty well. Um, yeah. And Shakespeare based all of this on Holland's head. So uh, his his interpretation was based yeah. on, on that uh, history. I also, there was another, no, wait, never mind. I'm thinking of a translation of Boccaccio or something that he Yeah, did. yeah. Because the, the, there's, there's elements there's from el- that, yeah. Yeah, there's elements like uh, the bringing, being brought in through the chest. Uh, it was in a few different Italian yeah, things, I but think I think it was Cameron, And then there's some that were borrowed from Ovid's Metamorphoses. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's a play, like, we talked about how it's really uh, Cinderella? No. Snow White. Snow White. Like, well, there's and a Sleeping lot of Beauty. Elements. There's some fairy tale elements here, too, where yeah. you've got I a mean, princess being knocked to sleep and then right, woken or, up. Right, or yeah. having an evil stepmother who sends yeah. uh, a trusted advisor to go kill her in the woods yeah. and then he can't do it so he like sends her off into the wilderness yeah. to live her life and she stumbles across a cabin and <laughs> invites herself in. Like that's Snow White, yeah. right? And there's, yeah. there is some evidence that the story that the Grimm brothers wrote down is based on a much older legend that you know, Cymbeline may have borrowed from. Borrowed yeah, from. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all the tropes of the time. I think yeah. this is a well understood uh, example. So, yeah. yeah, it absolutely borrows uh, from all these things to come together into this weird play. Um, it was published only in the folio. Yeah. Um, and it, as as we mentioned, it is very heavy on the plot, very little on character. Imogen yeah. gets a bit, Posthumus gets a bit, um, but even he's mostly forgettable. Um, all the other ones yeah. are just kind of there and they, they serve their plot function and that's yeah, kind it's, of it. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I, I think we've used this analogy before, or I have at least, where it's like a sitcom where the the characters, it may not be believable that these characters are in this plot, but they're there anyway. And so the characters kind of react to the plot around them rather than... Um, or yeah, the plot forces them to act a certain way yeah, as opposed yeah. to them acting a certain way based on character. This is not Macbeth. This is not Hamlet. We don't get a lot of introspection from any of these characters. No, I mean you do get a little bit. I you know, um, Iacomo gets some. Well, Hoshimus no, yeah. does get some. Almost but it's, all the characters have. Oh, also, most of the major characters, yeah. and this is how you know Simeon isn't one. Is that he doesn't get uh, mm. soliloquy at all. No. But most of the other characters do. Yeah. Um, and it's it's odd that way because for so much soliloquizing, <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of like character development. Yeah, and and actual introspection at all. They pretty much end the play where they began the play. Like, yeah, like yeah. Uh, even if they go through like posthumous goes from devoting himself to Imogen to hating Imogen to feeling sad that she's dead to loving her again. And Cymbeline goes from point A to point B, but he comes back around again to point A, right? Like they, they kind of make a circular journey as opposed to a true, uh, like transformative journey. They don't end in a different place than they started. Nobody changes. Even the, the sons who are, uh, you know, they they live in a cave, mm. uh, you know, for their most of their lives. All of a sudden, they're the prince, and one is the crown prince, and he's going to yeah. be king one day. Uh, you have no ram- like nothing. There's no retrospective look at how that impacts this character because he's just right. there. He's yeah. he's not he's really a, plot a person. Device. They are yeah. plot devices. They are all plot yes. devices. And I would say it's Imogen's story that they they serve, if anything, because she really is kind of the central uh, linchpin of all these stories. Yes. She is the sister to the brothers. She is the um, daughter to the king. Yeah, the lover also, of the, the posthumous. 
it yeah. exactly. So I mean, it, it really revolves Clotten, around that. And Yakima. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone. <laughs> and everyone else. Um, yeah, and so it also does what a lot of Shakespeare's plays did, especially historical mm-hmm. ones, where uh, again I was using air quotes for yeah. historical, where. Uh, you know, it's a mishmash of time periods. It's not really yeah. ancient Rome because they're talking about France, which France didn't exist. Yeah. Italy didn't really, wasn't separate. No. Uh, and, and But it's set in like, like Roman Britain. Yeah. But then like 16th century Italy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a very strange uh, kind of combination of time zones and, and what have you. And that's very mm-hmm. typical of Shakespeare. He, yeah. he just... He did what he did. I mentioned this many times on the religion episode. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had a knack of just borrowing what felt foreign to make something foreign, even if it right. didn't make sense within the context of the. Well, and I mean, sometimes we we have argued in the past that there's a purpose to that. That it's almost like this. There's a broader story that needed to be told or something, and so we're going to use this conceit or this plot or this setting to tell that particular story yeah like pericles for example yeah right? yeah which is it needs to have shipwrecks and it needs yeah. to have far flung you know um but this story as much as it is kind of these it, it's it we, we i mentioned this when we were watching the bbc version earlier um that it feels like a mature version of a play like as you like it where you have all these different settings and different plot lines that take place in those settings, but they're really isolated and they don't really connect except artificially. Whereas this play does take those disparate locations. You 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 believe it that, you know, Roman Britain and 16th century Rome could exist in the same place because posthumous exists in the same place and uh, Imogen and and Wales and all this stuff like they can all come together because they are so complicatedly intertwined Mm -hmm. that the setting and the time differences I guess it doesn't really matter as much. Like yeah, you, you yeah. forgive it a little bit more than. Well, it's just it is. It's a stage imagining yeah. of a non-existent time frame, yeah. right? So, so all of those things are are uh, elements that the audience has to make sense of in some way. And and in this no. play, you're right; it, it kind of works. And, and to, to your point about the the plot lines connecting, though, yeah, um, they they kind of do. I agree. Uh, I think that. They're, they're, they're paced very strangely. Oh, though. for I commented sure. 100%. On this as we were watching, I was literally checking the time because the second plot about the, the <laughs> brothers uh, doesn't get introduced until like an hour and a hour and 15 minutes into the three hour BBC version. So yeah. it's literally, you're a third of the way through before you've even met the brothers. Yeah. Um, and then you get a quick dive into them. The the whole envoy from Rome shows up at about the hour mark too. So Yeah, and you don't really get anything about, aside from Imogen being sad, the whole image and posthumous thing, like posthumous doesn't show up until like act four again. Yeah, right? Like yeah. it's, he disappears for most of the play after yeah. his initial scenes are done. But, and, and you're right, it is paced weird, but it does, it works kind of, because that's kind of how things go. Like you well, have it, it characters does, that disappear and then they come back into your life and they bring sure, their differences sure. with them. And I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think it, it it does work because, it, again, it tracks Imogen's progress. Mm-hmm, so that's the thing. she's there for the, uh, or she's not there for the uh, exchange of tokens token well no the the, the yeah in rome. The, yeah the thing between rome and and or posthumous uh, and yakimo no 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 i wasn't oh. even talking about that oh rome and and the caesar Cymbeline, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 augustus and and his envoy and everything like that like she's not there for that but yeah um it sets that up that that's coming and then it, yeah, yeah, yeah if you really do focus it on imogen it does make yeah. sense but the play 
doesn't really focus on Imogen that much. No. It's it's yeah, it's, that, it's you're much right. looser. That is weird. It's it's focused on <laughs> all these random characters showing up and and kind of playing their part that eventually becomes Imogen's story near the end, but it's also Posthumous and uh, Filario, her his his servants and stuff like that. Yeah. They all serve these key roles. And you have Clotten who's like he's gonna be the comic fool and then he gets his head cut off halfway yeah. through the play. Like it's it's just it's a well, it's a weird mishmash of of time and and focus. And I, I mean there there might be an explanation for that in the sense that um, when Shakespeare was writing this play, the Kingsmen had uh, been given they were working in Blackfriars Theater, which was mm-hmm. uh, they they weren't staging this. Probably weren't staging this at the Globe. It was probably at the Blackfriars Theater. So they had it was an indoor theater. Um, they had the benefit of like quote unquote artificial lighting by candlelight yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, they had a roof, so they were able to do things like the like the Deus, Deus Ex Machina, Machina. Yeah. like a lot of the the set pieces that form big emotional or action-packed climactic moments Mm -hmm. would have been designed for the space that it was in as opposed to designed to tell a coherent story not that this isn't a coherent story but i think that the staging of it is we can't forget that part yeah and the sensationalism of like you said clotten's being decapitated yeah. and the dead body being on stage, whether that was a dummy on stage or whether it was an actual person on stage. Um, they didn't cut someone's head No, off. no, but like an actor disguised <laughs> yeah, yeah, as yeah, it, yeah. right? Like that would have been the center point of that scene. Yeah. And it would have been done to, and the head being a prop. I mean, we saw that in with um, in Macbeth. They yeah, were yeah. decapitated. Yeah. And we saw it in uh, Henry the uh, Henry the Sixth Part Two. I think. Was there a Hellas dude there? Yeah, with a husband. The he gets on the ship, he gets beheaded. And isn't his head brought out to her? Oh, maybe, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I mean it's not like we haven't seen this before, but it just serves such a grotesque function here. And I think that speaks to the sensationalism. This was also in the folder essay, I'm paraphrasing here, but the sensationalism of the the Jacobean theater, which was a little bit different from the sensationalism of well, it wasn't really sensational. There was a different kind of feel to the purely Elizabethan theater that you would have seen in the Globe ten or fifteen years earlier. This is a different stage, so it's a different staging, yeah. right? Okay, which maybe has a part to play in this. Yeah, no, I I think that makes sense, uh, especially yeah, like literally the te- technical limitations of having yeah, uh, you know, you can do a Deus Ex Machina in a different theater, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that is definitely worth uh, mentioning and, mm-hmm. and thinking about. Not that the Globe didn't have the heavens, but it wasn't like sure. a a trap door that you could, you know, I don't think. Did they have ropes and pulleys that you could drop someone down from? I remember having, like, they. there's a trap door in the floor. Yeah, the floor for sure. But, but I, I don't, don't know. Remember. I don't know if they did dangle people. They had people up there. You could have people well, up there acting on, like, the balcony part. The balcony part, part but not, not. I don't know that else. they had, like, a yeah a mechanism for it. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Anyways, anyway. That's that's our comment on the, the, the context of the play, I guess. Okay. You horse and cur, thou stool for a witch. I do, do, thou sudden witched lord. Thou hast no more brain than I have in my nose. So I've, I mentioned this was my favorite play. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aiden, we have a, a fond 
memory of reading this play in university. You I, do. I did not read it. You didn't this read it. This is the first time I ever read it. Okay. Well, um, I read it, and uh, we had a friend that we took this class with who uh, the three of us always sat at the back of the class, and it was a smaller class. There were, like, you know, uh, 35 people in yeah. the class. So the professor knew that we were friends and made Aiden and this other friend, like, play the brothers and I had to lay on the desk and they had to I was Imogen and they were saying the like death chant poem or whatever um, which I thought was really cool because my the reason this is my favorite play is because I was first introduced to that through the Lorena McKennett song Cymbeline okay yeah which uses the (laughs) the song that they sing um, she just puts it to music and it's beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful song. So I remember hearing that when I was like 14 or something. And in my mind thought Cymbeline was the girl. So when I was reading the play for the first time in university, I, I shocked like everybody else was when they first read Cymbeline, I'm sure to find that, no, it's Imogen is the girl. Yeah. Um, but this is the play Cymbeline that Lorena McKennett wrote the song about. I was, I had a big Lorena McKennett phase. Do you remember that? I do very very clearly. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it didn't really end. Uh, we're still in it, but that's and that's fine. It's, well, it was much more pronounced in yeah. like two thousand four. Yeah, it was like it was like the high wave of Enya, and then you kind of continued <clears throat> onto the Celtic path of of these yeah. other uh, folksy songwriters and yeah. stuff. So yeah, no, it checks out. Yeah. Um, I did not know that about the song. Yeah, that's why you I should. Liked it so much. You should listen to it. It's actually. I think we'll link to it in the. We should. Yes. yes we Give will. Lorena McKennett some plays on Spotify. YouTube. YouTube. Do you mm-hmm. get money? for yeah yeah, yeah. If there's if there's the vivo ads. accounts yeah exactly sure okay yeah, yeah. yeah. poor Yorick I knew him Horatio a fellow of infinite jest of most excellent fancy so we wanted to move on to the major themes of the play and the first one Lindsay right off the bat uh Femininity. Let's just put it that way. Uh, sure. The, the it being mostly Imogen's play. Yeah. Uh, and her being really the only female character except for the queen. Yes. Um. Her so her stepmother. Uh. She. It really is a lot of the action, a lot of the discussion, a lot of the focus of the play is around her. Mm-hmm. Um. And the very first question I wrote down is: Is this a misogynistic play? Yeah. Because holy crap, there is a lot of misogyny running around in the heads of the male characters in oh. this play. Um, it's horrible. But the play itself doesn't seem to like back that up because Imogen is very pure and she is very kind and uh, obedient, but not to her father. So is that really, uh, you know, the silent chaste obedience archetype? No, but she is at the same time faithful to posthumous. Uh, so it's just it's it's raising questions there. And I don't think the play really comes down um, too hard on the one female character. Mm. Um, but then you do have her her mirror in the, the stepmother slash right. queen right. who is straight up evil. Yeah. Uh, and just like... And for no really good reason. Either. No, like She just all. wants to advance her son's position. Yeah. But it's, it's not... It's like she's flimsy. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, like it's Cymbeline and Imogen don't do anything bad to her. Like she's no. not, she's not wrong. She's just ambitious, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like when she, uh, right after, right as she's dying, she confesses to just mm-hmm. all the bad things she's done. And it's just like a nonstop torrent of, of terribleness. And I did this and yeah. I did this. <laughs> exactly. And so there more. Yes. And it yes. gets worse. <laughs> And it's 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 a weird kind of yeah. feeling to this play that that there is this huge suspicion of females and femininity well, within the play, yeah. 
Um, but then it's undercut by Imogen's purity. And it, that's not something that's that's uh, wholly unseen in Shakespeare. We've seen this tons of times before. Like, uh, I think Othello plays into the posthumous in Imogen um, Iacomo triangle yeah i guess so yeah with cotton on the side there (laughs) it kind of feels like othello because it it almost feels like a uh a growth from like it's a a matured version of that yeah iacomo really does feel like an iago character but he doesn't die at the end and well and he accepts it and he yeah and he's kind of remorseful yeah exactly like it feels like they're instead of being tropes they are more human or more fully rounded humans in those roles yeah. that Othello and Desdemona and Iago Except played we just earlier. just finished saying how the characters aren't really characters. Yes, I know, one. but that so that's <laughs> what that's what makes it so complicated because because you're right, it all comes down to these characters viewing women with such suspicion and and and, and hatred in some point. Like and it does not take much for posthumous to not at all. Like, literally, there's a scene where he goes, uh, he so he's off in Rome, and Iacomo comes back, and he's like, well, here's the bracelet that you gave to her. Yeah. To her. I, you know, and and he, Hashimish is like, I can't believe it. Oh women are Shh. in constant, I will never love again. This is just, <laughs> women are awful. And the, the guy he's staying with is like, hold on, buddy. Like, Slow your roll. Yeah. Maybe she lost it. Maybe somebody stole Stolen, it from yeah. her. And Pashman's like, oh, yeah, all right. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, give yeah. me back my bracelet yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And then Iacomo's like, but, you know, uh, no, she, she it slipped right off her, her wrist. And, 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 and there was a mole on her breast. And, yeah. and this is what her room is like, like. He's like, well, fuck, fuck it. it. Yeah, this exactly. Over, like. It's like, <laughs> it takes nothing at all. And it, I think it's just... There has to be something to the fact that men complain about women's inconstancy and they're the most wishy-washy characters in all of Shakespeare. Like, they don't stick to the course. Imogen is completely faithful. It is not an accident that she chooses the name Fideli as her boy name. (laughs) She is 100% straight and true as an arrow and Posthumous does not deserve her. Yeah. And I think that there has to be something to that because that happens all the fucking time well, in it, Shakespeare. Well, and it's it's Cymbeline too. I mean, Cymbeline is obsessed with his daughter's virginity, virginity, and her <laughs> and her sexual uh, capacity to bear mm-hmm. future kings and her marriageability. Pure therein. kings, yeah, like, exactly. Well, to yeah, keep the bloodline going, exactly. And this is this is the, his primary concern. Everybody who meets. Uh, Imogen is just concerned with her sexual mm-hmm. Status. character. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, so it feels like that in itself is hugely misogynist. Oh, yeah. And like like going back to my main question here, yes, like, yes. Is, is the it a play, play a misogynist play? I, I kind of think it is. I think, I think there's so much voiced hatred of women and distrust of women. And Imogen's... Uh, supernatural ability almost to see it through and to make mm-hmm. everything wind up okay at the end uh, because, you know, she finds her brothers and she, you well, know... she's definitely she... a character in a play, so that might have something to do with <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just saying, like... I know. I, I feel like she is uh, counted upon to do way too much in terms of... Oh, yeah, of no. She's carrying a lot of burden in yeah. this play to, like, as the moral center of the play, yeah. which I think she is. Yeah. And... 
the misogyny that plays out around her, she has, yeah, you're absolutely right. She has to counter all of it. Yeah. Um, being true to her word, being faithful, being um, virginal, being, you know, loving and beautiful. And she's all of these things. Mm-hmm. And in spite of all the men around her, with the exception of Valerius. Uh, and yeah. her brothers who don't really they well they think she's a boy though so yeah. I mean everybody else puts a price on her um, as a an object a sexual yeah. object which is what women have well, been but but I my what I was going to get to yeah. was that um, the fact that she is given that opportunity and so ably carries the morality of the play yeah. I think is I, I won't, I'm not going to say that it's not misogynistic because I still think that that's that it's too much for one character as much as I love Imogen it really isn't fair for her to have to carry that burden yeah. and it's like she couldn't have been that character if she had slept with Yakimo or if she had faltered at any point along the way like like yeah. this is this is yeah. where the misogyny really takes an ugly turn is that we we and we've I think you know defended Shakespeare in the past for doing this where it's like well you know this woman is given all this you know power and and responsibility and she does amazing things with it it's like but the bar is so fucking high <laughs> for the women yeah. that you know one minor slip if she had lost the bracelet Desdemona has her yeah. handkerchief stolen from yeah. her. It has nothing and to do with her. And it's a death sentence, yeah. And it, yeah, she dies. Yeah. And it's like, the bar is so high. And that's true in life, too. Like, women have such a high bar to meet before we're considered Any, anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, and so it's like, <laughs> it, that carries through in the play. So yes, I, yeah. I will agree with you. It is it is kind of a misogynistic play. Yeah, and I, I think it's just, it's, it's interesting. This is a recurring theme in... Uh, Shakespeare's late plays is an obsession with youthful yeah. women and their what chastity. What did you say when you were reading the play? You walked into the living room and you were like, "Shakespeare's daughter had sex outside of marriage." <laughs> yeah, like, that's just, and, and he's just she going laid. through some shit right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, he was writing out his frustrations because, well, I mean, think about it. He himself knocked up mm-hmm. a woman in her earlier years uh, yeah, outside fine of wedlock. When he does it, well, and, and this is and this that's is the, the misogyny. Obvious, well, it's yeah. the misogyny and it's the underlying. Uh, contradiction that that Shakespeare faces as a man that he himself did this to a woman um, and then he but he cannot allow allow it to happen to any woman that he knows or any woman that he writes well exactly and 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 yeah and his his female characters in these later plays are very obviously stand-ins for his own daughter in my estimation you know it really isn't a a hard stretch to imagine that an older man whose daughters are getting to that age starting to marry and or are already married and yeah exactly and And are already facing these kind of issues trouble yeah yeah so it's it's it is a very, very uh, confused play in that way. And I think that comes across and it took yeah. us, you know, 15 minutes here to to explain whether or not it's misogynist because yeah. it is. It exists in a world of misogyny, so therefore it's probably going to be a, a misogynist. Yeah, just by... Just by, by virtue of, of its... By default. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. By its source code, right? Yeah. So, but at the same time, Shakespeare does have this humanizing trait that he, he tries to grant his his female characters. And it shows up here and it shows up in The Tempest later too. Yeah. But absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I had another point that I wanted to make about the doubling of some of these roles. So you said yes. there are only two women that are in this play. Yeah. Um, the soothsayer can be played by a woman, but I don't mm. think it necessarily has to be Not a woman. Always, yeah. Um, but either way, 
uh, you've got the Queen and you've got Imogen. And I was watching a, a panel discussion. I'll link it in the um, in our episode description. A panel discussion about Cymbeline and Shakespeare. And uh, one of the women, an actress, and she's a recognizable actress, and I forget her name. Um, she mentions friend of the podcast, Dakin Matthews, and how he had told her when she played the queen that, and she was playing the queen and Belarius yeah. in this production. And she didn't really, like, she had, she wasn't familiar with the play. And she mentioned that, oh, well, you know, this is probably, she had her assumptions about the role. And, and Dakin Matthews was like, no, this is, this is the great, like, uh, the balancing act or something he said this is this is a common thing yeah. which I didn't know and I, I should have looked into this a little bit more before I started talking but it seems like it makes sense that the Queen of Belarius could be played by the same yeah. person kind of like how in Pericles um, the mother and Diana yeah. are played by the can same played, yeah. character or can be played by the same actor um, and then you have Imogen also playing a boy yeah. quote unquote so, but that's within, that's a conceit that's done within the play yeah. where we're aware of it. The audience would be aware of Belarius yeah. and um, yeah. the queen being the same actor, but there's no winking to the audience about that. But I just think that's, that's interesting that the two women characters in this play get to play or very often get to play uh a boy's role or a male mm-hmm. role that is in the queen's case the complete opposite of the queen and kind of maybe i don't know if that's two sides to uh parenthood or something like here's yeah. a queen who is um yeah not i i don't know she's clotten is her son but he's a bumbling fool he's yeah. an absolute idiot um she's scheming in order to get him on the throne She's not faithful to her husband in any sort of way. She's awful to his daughter. She's the evil stepmother. But then Valerius is this supposed traitor who's been banished from Cymbeline's yeah, court. He's actually the best stepfather of all time. Yeah, yeah. and he raises <laughs> these two boys and with nothing, but yeah. he still manages to keep them pure and noble. And then and noble they, they and go off to fight in this war and they save King Cymbeline. And yeah. um, so to have the same actor play both of those roles. And to have it be an established trope in the theater, I think that there's something there. I don't know. I, I don't have an yeah, answer well, to that. I think it's just... Well, it, it wasn't in the BBC production, obviously. No, it so, wasn't. The, so we didn't get to kind of see how that would play out. But yeah, it's definitely... You can imagine how it might yeah, play out, right? Yeah, it's, and it makes sense, right? It's this kind of like more mature parental figure. Because I mean, it's, it's, it's not... <laughs> obviously, Shakespeare does a lot of gender... Uh, bending. Bending, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's always, I mean... Imogen, uh, Viola, and uh, Rosalind, the three big breeches roles, right, that are, you know, women playing men or boys playing women playing men. Um, It's just, yeah, I think I think whenever that happens, it's noteworthy to me. I just I want to I want to think more about it. And I don't have anything. (laughs) Well, I think you've noticed it. Yeah, I think you've I think you've said it. It's there. For. I must tell you friendly in your ear. Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. So society and class is another one that that comes up uh, a lot in the play. And it's not addressed directly, but it is, it's on the minds of all the characters at all times. It is addressed directly when King Simpline says that Posthumus is lowborn and he can't marry his daughter. And that's kind of it. Well, no, I mean... (laughs) 
kind of. But there's also, you know, uh, oh, these these rude young men, uh, they have they fought well above their station. Mm, it's almost okay, as if yeah, they okay, were yeah, yeah. knight. They should have been knights all along. You right, know? Like, right. Like there's there's definitely a lot of focus and uh, concern for class within mm-hmm. this structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, one of the questions I had was, what, what's separating the king and his sons, both by birth and his stepson, from the other men in the play? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's really nothing because i mean cloten is highborn i mean him and posthumus are foils but then all cloten and his uh Cymbeline's real son i forget their names again of course arvaragus and, and guiderius guiderius yeah. yeah um they are also foils for cloten yeah um and then imogen is is also a foil for cloten yeah so all of these characters are all highborn uh, but posthumous isn't, and yet they all share this thing of of contrasting with the evil, yeah. dumb, uh, highborn. Well, yeah, and maybe upper that's class maybe that's yeah. <laughs> he is very much upper class twit of the year. Yeah. Thank you. That's the perfect <laughs> perfect Good descriptor analogy, for yeah. Cloten. Cloten, whatever his name is. Um, it it does seem again like this is uh, kind of a let, let's stir the pot a little bit about what our expectations of class behavior and morality let's Mm -hmm. stir the pot about what our expectations are with regards to that and then let's show the reality because remember this is 1611 1612 people are moving up and down the social ladder you don't have to be born a king to act kingly in society that like in the world in the real world so shakespeare seems to be reflecting that a little bit and and i would imagine that posthumous would be a character that much more so than Imogen. Imogen is somebody that you feel sorry for, but Posthumus is somebody that you feel like a kinship for. You mm-hmm. want him you want to, to root for him. You yeah. want to root for him, right? You feel bad. Things happen to Imogen. She doesn't really make her fortune. No. Like everything yeah, kind of just happens to her. Whereas Posthumus actively goes out of his way to, to try and kill her. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> to do bad things. Yeah. And then. Um, I guess regains his status or something by fighting nobly for the uh, The for the Britons in the end, and so in in that gains this status that his birth wouldn't allow. Yeah. And it, right? Well, and it happens with the the boys too. Even though yeah. we know that they're of course kingly, um, they're cave dwellers, but yeah. they fight nobly, yeah. and that's that's weird. But so Shakespeare does kind of fall into that trap. There, you're right. But but, it, but is it? I mean, because he well, he does have posthumous doing the same thing. Like the, yeah, those and Clint f- does the opposite, right? Exactly. He's highborn, but he acts yeah. like a lout. Right? I mean, it really it it's. I mean, the whole time I was just thinking, is it nature versus nurture? And some of those speeches, it's very obviously n- nature, you know, like they were born kingly. So they're right. going to show kingliness, no matter the, the fact that they were raised in a cave. And other times they're not possible. There's no possible way they can be kingly, even though they were raised in the highest of royalty, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Clutton, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, again, it's it's a late romance. It doesn't have an answer to this no. question, but I think it is, um, it, it's something that the, the play is very concerned with. And concerned with exposing the the frailty of the nature side of things, I feel like. Yeah, uh, but it's in not the, very, the most important thing. No, it, and it's yeah. yeah, it's very obscured, and it's not the focus of the play at all. But it is sitting there the whole time because these characters well, are obsessed with it <clears throat> and their station in the. And that's the, the funny thing about this play is that there are so many of those little things that are like they're there, but they're not fully explored in yeah, any yeah. meaningful way, the yeah. way they would be if this were 
Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet, yeah. where it's like we have we have a big central theme, we have a big idea that we're gonna focus on. Yeah. Here, there's like 16 different things. Yeah, and so you get these little nuggets yeah. that you can play with and you can delve into it, but you don't necessarily get. Not that you get full answers in anything that Shakespeare did, but, but more so more. in these later plays, there's just a complexity to it. Yeah. And I think the the one question that I think is really important is, uh, is there any connection between uh, the goodness of a character and their birth? And it's almost begging an inversion because all the highborn characters are bad in some way or other. And all the lowborn characters are good in are some good way Are good in or some other. way or other, except for Imogen. And I'd say, the, but I'd say the best character amongst them all, besides Imogen, is Filario, his or her slash uh, posthumous's uh, like servant. His, yeah, because yeah. he's the only one. He keeps her alive. He refuses to kill her mm-hmm. when posthumous orders it. He offers her the medicine and the clothes and everything. Um, and he's there at the end. He's the only one who recognizes. Yeah, uh, everybody, all the key yeah. players. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's wait, like, oh, I know you. you I know, you. know you. Okay, yeah, we're like, all good putting here. things yeah, together, yeah. moving the chess pieces until <laughs> like, everything falls into place. Yeah, and if like he wasn't there, then uh, the whole play falls apart pretty quick. And he is the only one who's true. And he's a serving man. He's not really. Yeah, a, he's yeah. he's a servant. He is uh, he is not noble in any way, shape, or form. Yet he has the most moral consistency, except for Imogen herself, perhaps. Um, and I, I just think that's interesting that usually, you know, the king would be good, but the king is a dick right off the bat. Well, yeah, he falls into a lot of the older king tropes that we've seen yeah, in like the later year. Yeah, yeah. He's just like out of his mind, batshit crazy. Like, simply isn't crazy, no. but he does have certain ideas that he... Like he's wedded to, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, they're, and they cause so much pain and heartache. He's, yeah. he's a little bit like... Um, uh, uh, Laontes in yeah. The Winter's Tale, who is, um, yeah, like led down a path of of negativity. Like he's very easily swayed, much like Othello, mm-hmm. um, and repents at the end. Uh, Cymbeline is is kind of in that vein, kind of the same. Yeah. Um, and, and again, gets to kind of come back to his senses yeah. in a sense yeah. by the end of the play. <laughs> Um, so I wouldn't say that he's a bad character. And then you do have the characters of the brothers who yeah. are are highborn but mm-hmm. aren't um, – I mean, I guess in their minds they're lowborn because they don't know any yeah. better. But like, they still yeah. act very nobly. But – would they have acted nobly if they were raised in nobility? Well, that's, you know, like, and that's, or, or would they have acted yeah. nobly if they were actually born to a man in a cave? Yeah, like, yeah. I guess, I guess, yeah. Nature versus nurture does because they were raised by a courtier, basically, yeah. a Valerius, who's you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think that's a that's an interesting question and impossible to know. But I think the play does want you to question the the focus that we put on class maybe yeah. and maybe it's it's a little bit of a don't judge a book by its cover don't judge a person by their well, birth and, status yeah absolutely <laughs> and it, i mean the play starts with this long-winded description of how great posthumous is yeah. even though he wasn't born to the to the queen or yeah. king or you know he's not of no, that noble of a station yeah. He he deserves Imogen because yeah. he's such a great guy, yeah. and of course the play proves he's not. But that's that's beside the point. The 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 buildup is there that, yeah. despite not having this from birth, yeah, he literally has the first lines of the play are, yeah. are talking about this. Yeah, so I mean it's just, it's just another uh, little minefield that Shakespeare's put down and think, yeah. oh, you got an answer, you just stepped on a mine because here's a character who completely negates everything. Yeah, yeah. Once more into the breach, dear friends. Once more, I'll close the wall up. 
our English dead. So lies and deceit. Uh, this one is wow. There's there's a lot of it in the play. Um, there's er- nothing but lies in this play. Yeah, everything. and it's so hard to keep track of everything oh because everybody is lying to everybody else. Yes. Okay. Like the whole box of poisons yeah. that the queen gets from the guy, but he's so, so not really. Poison. Let's follow the box because this, so the queen gives this box of poison to Filario. Fil- yeah. Um, which is supposed to. She thinks it's a poison that's going to kill Yes. Imogen. Uh, Imogen. But she gives it to him and says it'll be a tonic. It's or a something yes, to this her. will help her feel better. Yes. The doctor outside hears this conversation and changes the potion well, inside. He didn't change it. He he knew all along. He's like, I don't trust that yeah. woman. So I'm going to change it. And it's just sleeping yeah. pills now, basically. Yes. yes. So so the lie that the queen told Filario is a truth that he gives to to Imogen. Jim, she who thinks it's it, a lie. Thinks it's a lie. She's like, these were supposed to be medicines, and they knocked me out instead. And then it literally comes all circle in the last yeah. scene where the doctor's like, oh, I can explain that, you yes. know. And it's like, holy shit! Like this like, is just a a crazy crazy uh, compilation of lies that all lead to the best possible outcome. This might be like the most lied about thing in Shakespeare. Yeah. I can remember something yeah, where I can. every character who talks has a different it, idea yeah, about what it, what it is. Yeah. And then again, another deus ex <laughs> medicina comes yeah. in at the end and yeah. just says, actually, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's it, fascinating. That it was really such is. an interesting conceit. Yeah. And, and it really raises the question of like, was, is there anybody who's not a liar in this play? And, you might think, oh, uh, Imogen, of course. But she no, does, she, she is. Yeah. She pretends to be Fidele. Um, and she doesn't, uh, she's not upfront about anything in the end, in the con- confrontation with Yakumo no. uh, and everything. It's get the king to ask those questions and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what's going on. Um, Filario? Filario is, but he does lie to yeah. Clotten to say, oh yeah, here's a letter from my master. Saying, yeah. I'll meet her, I'll meet Imogen at this, uh, in Well, Wales. he's not lying. That's what the letter says. It's true. I suppose Filario might be the only one. Uh, I wonder if Filario means love of truth or something like that. <laughs> Anyways, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy because literally every character in yeah, this play they're lies. All, they're all duplicitous in some way or another, whether it's whether, lying to themselves, lying yeah. to others, yeah. um, lying for good, lying for bad. It's personal gain or to help somebody else. They're all liars yeah. in some way or another. Yeah. And and it really does come to a head at the very end when um, like you were, we were watching this this afternoon and Aiden paused it and he goes... You get a revelation, and you get a revelation, and you get a revelation, because it's literally just like 50 pages of, you know, here's one thing you think, and then here's another character comes in and says, actually, no, you're wrong, and then another character comes in to correct the third character, yeah. and everybody in this in this court is like, conf- I would be confused oh my if God. I, I were in no that. I have no idea what's going on. Like, reading it and watching it is yeah. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah writing it. And, and then, but, yeah. but what's really interesting, and this is what, what I like about the plots and the way they intersect, is because all of these lies and all of this deceit is, there's, I, I can't tell. I mean, it is confusing, so maybe there are plot holes, but it doesn't seem like there are. It seems yeah. like everything kind of neatly ties up at the end in a way that feels, um, like 
like a revelation almost. It's yeah. like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Like something that happened three acts ago comes back yeah. in the final scene in a way that ties all of these plots together. The Roman army invading and the sons and the Welsh yeah. mountains and yeah. Imogen and Posthumus. Like all of that comes together and and all of the lies, the truths are revealed. And you get this this wonderful happy ending, right? Yeah. It, it is just, it is, it's strange for, this is what I'm talking yeah, about when I call it a strange yeah, play, right? Yeah, like, I guess. This does not happen very often in Shakespeare. No. Uh, occasionally you'll get a Hamlet where everybody dies in the last scene. Yeah, this is the opposite of that. Yeah, but. well, no, and, and it does have a feeling of a comedy where like everything's set, set right <laughs> yeah. at the end, like yeah. all's well that ends well or, or much ado. Yeah. You know, it has that same feeling where all the misunderstandings are cleared up and everybody's happy and everyone's back to life or whatever you need it to happen. But it feels hollow here because everybody was bad <laughs> in one way or another well, yeah, or, or a I mean, liar at least I, everyone's yeah. a liar so, so the question then is 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 deceitfulness the cardinal yeah. sin that that you're making it out to be because i think in a in a way um this really does muddy the water in in a lot of cases because some of the lies Filario tells a lie about killing Imogen to save her life. Like yeah, okay, that, yes, you're right. That's he lies not, too. Yeah. Thank you for correcting That's me. not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like sometimes it's it's a deep philosophical question. Is it is it always wrong to lie? Yeah. It's not a black and white answer. So I don't think they're bad people. I think they make choices that serve them well in that moment or they don't. And I think that's the, that's the truer measure of their moral fiber. You know, a character like the Queen or Clotten who is going to lie, cheat, and steal their way to get what they want, they're bad people. But Imogen and um, uh, Florio and... Maybe imposthumous to an maybe extent. Maybe to an extent, yeah. But then yeah. even even um, Iacomo, who you know comes clean with everybody and feels bad at the end, kind maybe of feels bad, he, yeah. well. <laughs> but he's he's given the task of like do better, like yeah, go yeah. forth and be better to others, right? Yeah. And I think that there's a redemption to that. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Because I don't think, I don't know, like, Yakumo, we, we haven't talked much about the individual characters, but his motivations are not totally crystal clear. Like, he just yeah. doesn't like Brits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just doesn't like he the just, idea As soon as Posthumus, Posthumus walks in, yeah. he's like, fuck you, buddy. I'm going to fuck your girlfriend. Like, that was, that's yeah, literally gonna the whole thing. Yeah, I'm going to prove to you that your, girl, that your girl is unfaithful because yeah. I don't like your face, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and then he goes and does it. Yeah. Or well, he fails to do it, but he convinces Poshmus. Well, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he, yeah. I, I, it, it is. It's it's a it's a weird. It's it matches with everything else in the late plays, right? It's mm-hmm. it's this it's this conflicted messaging about um, the source of it. I think I agree. I think it, the the play definitely wants you to to root for some people mm-hmm. um, who are liars mm-hmm. um, while you know dissing others. Um, but it is it is interesting that the play only concerns itself with the. Um, fidelity i guess of and the truth of women's words as with almost all of play, all of shakespeare's plays where women are knocked off a pedestal it's because yeah. they're not faithful yeah. but in this play nobody is faithful yeah. so it really does level the playing field in a, in a yeah. way right so everybody gets their lies exposed but then then they're all exposed as liars so so it's like, okay, well, we all fucked up, so let's just put it behind us and move forward, right? Like, that's almost what that ending feels yeah, like, especially with this pronouncement from Jupiter that 
uh, yeah, yeah. posthumous gets where it's like this was proclaimed from yeah. you know and everyone's happy now yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. like it's like we can we can reset the the slate well, is that, clean that, that whole jupiter scene yeah. is like the biggest lie right like it's it's yeah. it's, it's it feels like nonsense uh when he reads it it comes across as nonsense well and it doesn't it doesn't fit again it's like it's like uh hermione coming back to life at the end of the winter's tale yeah, like it, how did he get this tablet is this in a magical play like yeah i mean where it, did this come from it, it doesn't it, match it, the rest it, of it it feels tacked on well to an extent i think it i think it, yeah you're right it, it does i would say that it it does um it does serve to wrap up the ending, mm-hmm. but it feels hollow here. Whereas I think in The Winter's Tale was a, a yes. huge catharsis to yes. be like, oh my God, she's alive still. Oh, for and, sure. But this is like the opposite of that. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to wrap it up with this neat little poem of, of bullshit stuff. Like that it, when, it wasn't suit, necessary no, at all. At all. And the soothsayer like really seems to be, I don't know, when I was reading it, I was like, this is a stretch. Like, this is a huge, like, this is, yes, this is why Revelation doesn't work (laughs) because you can read anything into it. Yeah, it's like reading Nostradamus and like, oh, Nostradamus predicted COVID. Yeah. You know, because he (laughs) he said there was going to be a plague. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it's like, like, yeah, yeah, you could read it. And and there is a lot of that. Like, well, by this, it could mean this, which means this, which means this. And it's like, and mm. and that's why it it feels odd in this play because it feels like another lie. It feels like, even at the end, when they're wrapping up, all the truth has been exposed. Yeah. Let's throw on this mystical lie on top of everything well, that, that doesn't really serve and any purpose. I just thought, so we we said that this ends on like a revelatory, you know, high note mm-hmm. where everybody's happy and, and yeah, the slate's clean. We're going to move forward. Maybe this is like the divine permission that they need in order to make that happen. Like it's, it's almost sense. like... Um, and in that case, the soothsayer is like, this is the parting gift, right? That yeah. all of these characters have been through hell and back. They've had horrible things done to them and have done horrible things to one another. And the truth is being revealed. And there could be hard feelings. We can laugh about it right now, but maybe in five minutes, it's going to be bad again because none of these people can be trusted. But okay, I'm going to read this this scroll yeah. that's been placed on somebody's chest while he's sleeping. And oh, yeah, it totally says that all of this is normal yeah. and you guys yeah. should be happy. And Jupiter says it so be it yeah you know like yeah like it almost it does feel again a very deus ex machina type thing that just comes in at the end and sets everything back to normal i I agree i think it's just it does such a poor job of that yeah i I don't think if it doesn't feel right like when when i'll i'll be honest i didn't read the end of the play so watching the watching the play today um uh I'm like, we got to the end. I'm like, oh, great. It's all. And oh, there's more. There's more. Oh, there's. It just continues. Oh, what? Why? 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 (laughs) That's it. And I just, I don't have an answer to that one. Yeah. So it's there. Uh, The last one we'll just touch on quickly, I think, because it's, it's, despite it being a play about lovers, there's a weird connection to love here because. What is love? Baby, Baby, don't, don't hurt, hurt me. <laughs> uh, but it's what is love, Lindsay? It's inconstant. That's yeah, for damn sure. Yeah. Uh, everybody in this play loves somebody until they do the slightest wrong to them, and then they're dead to them. Or except love them on first sight, as in the case of the brothers and Imogen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I think there's so there's two there's different, different there's different kinds of love. Yeah, I think yes. the romantic love is again shallow and, and insecure and, and yes. can't last very long. Yeah. Um, but familial love is forever kind of thing is yeah. is the sense that I get from the play. Yeah. Um, but then you have someone like the Queen and Cloden, who are in this family. I, I think the the step family dynamic is really interesting here because it's it's they have no love for Imogen especially. Do they have any scenes together, the Queen and Cloden? Maybe, Maybe I don't one. Remember. I don't think they. I don't think they really do have much to say to one another. They're just no. kind of scheming on their own. Too, yeah, which is odd as yeah. a mother and son who should be scheming together. Yeah, um, yeah, and, it, and and that's the thing. It's like there's the the family love mm-hmm. should be more dynamic and more uh, durable, but it just doesn't wind up that way. Um, and it, it's also Imogen and Cymbeline, right? Like he's he's done with his daughter. You know, yeah. like. Pff, you you married some guy. You're dead to well, me. Well, like, and I'm gonna he, banish him and and punish you until you give in and marry my son. Yeah, <laughs> which is just you know another weird Steps angle. Yeah, whatever. yeah. I mean, I think it's it's um, yeah. It feels like a lot of the decisions that putting well, okay. The queen is making decisions for Cloten, Cloten based on. You can assume that it's motherly devotion to her son. She wants the best for her son at any cost. Mm-hmm. Cymbeline, likewise, is doing that for Imogen. It's misguided. I don't know that I'm gonna. I would go to bat and and put a lot of money on that for the Queen and Cloten. But I think for Cymbeline and Imogen, it's not about I'm gonna control her for the sake of controlling her. It's I'm going to put limits on this because I need something out of it. But also, this is what's best for her. I think. And it just, he takes yeah. it too far. And so that's kind of where I see the, the at least the parent-child dynamic in the court happening, right? Yeah. Where these parents put expectations on their kids and the kids rebel or it pushes the kids to do really awful, evil things, yeah. right? Well, and yeah, you got to kind of wonder, like, would uh, the sons, again, if they were raised in court, would they be rebelling too, just right. like Imogen is, right? Like, because maybe Cymbeline's a bad father, you know? Well, like, and but then on the flip side of that, he's raised Posthumus, and Posthumus is this wonderful person, which I think yeah, is really funny yeah. that Posthumus is like, you're not good enough for my daughter. It's like, well, whose fucking fault is that? Yeah. Like, you raised me. Yeah. But I'm not good enough just by virtue of what? Like, I had all the same, everything that your daughter had. I'm literally... You know, like this on the same, but I'm not. Yeah. Right. So it's like for Cymbeline anyway, it's it's quite complicated that his love can transform a person or have no effect on a person. Yeah. His love can make Imogen a, a princess, soon to be queen if she just produces the right heir. Yeah. But it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on Posthumus' character. Like that's, yeah. it's it's almost like they've taken the nature side of love, right? As opposed to the nurture side of love, which Belarius shows to uh, Arviragus and um, Guderius, right? That he raises them, they're not his issue, He, but he does a good job by them and he raises them well. Yeah. And then they prove that in battle. Mm-hmm. So the familial love i think it is it's a very complicated thing where they don't there's no real clear cut answer but i think it comes back to that nature versus nurture thing mm-hmm. where it's like um what where does the love where can it take 
these characters? Where does it spring from? And then can it be corrupted or misconstrued yeah, or directed to a positive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, and I don't I don't think there's an answer. Which is to the and then and then there's that. the the romantic love obviously, which is um not a constant thing when it's male to female, but yeah. for Imogen to posthumous, it is 100% faithful and true. Yeah. But is it? I'm yeah. just going to throw it out here. When she realizes he wanted to kill her, does she still love him then? I don't think she... I definitely think... Okay, so contrast that with the scene where the queen is revealed to have not loved Cymbeline and has been plotting his death and his daughter's death and all this evil stuff. And he just kind of like sinks back in his chair and he's like, all right, like you can see that he's not... Well, at least in the production we watched, you could probably play it differently, but you could see it as him just kind of resignedly accepting that. And I don't think there's any love lost there. Whereas Imogen's rage when she finds out and, and her yeah. sorrow, I think belies the depth of her emotion. I don't, I think it's like, you know, when, when you're really angry well, with the person you love, you wouldn't be so hurt if you didn't love them. Uh, for sure. And I agree with that. I, th- I think the queen is the interesting example, counter example though, because her love was not pure at all. She didn't care at all for. And I don't uh, think Cymbeline cared like, for her either. Yeah, maybe not. I, but I'm just saying, like the the gendered nature of that love mm-hmm. doesn't hold up again. Mm-hmm. The, the play mm-hmm. won't let you mm-hmm. won't let you say, "Oh, well, women are no. constant in no. romantic love." No. Okay, fair. I will accept that. Yeah. But Imogen's love is true. Yeah. I think. I think. I so don't. Too. I, I think yeah. she's still heartbroken enough about the loss of posthumous, posthumous yeah. that she will kill herself or yeah, she, I mean, yeah, she did to offer die. to die. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you know takes these pills that she thinks are some kind of yeah. You know? I don't know. And then weeps over his body, which she that's thinks true. is his That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. That was after that point. So right? yeah, you're right. You're right. That makes sense. Yeah. And then you can look at, I, I hesitate to call it love, but there is kind of an erotic love, <laughs> an erotic tone to um, both Iacomo and Cloton's attempted rapes of yeah. Imogen, yeah. where it's just purely sexual. Um Yakumos is is so fascinating because his whole thing is predicated on how beautiful Imogen is. Like he he thinks it's unfair that that a creature this beautiful exists in yeah. the world, um, and he spends so much time like talking about when he's sneaking up on her in her bedchamber, which is creepy. creepy as hell, yeah. um, like talking about her skin and the whiteness of her sheets and the mole on her breast, and he's just. Oh, but I need to be looking at the room. I need to. I need to focus here, right? Like, so there's so much attention paid to like the physical attributes, and I don't know why Cloten is so enamored of. I'm assuming it's her beauty as well. Um, but also the the throne. I think he does for want sure, well, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But but he goes to Milford Haven dressed as posthumous in order to ravish her in yeah. her husband's clothing. Yeah. Like again, very focused on appearances. And so, I mean, that kind of love is shown. Like you don't get that from posthumous and Imogen. There's no romantic no. kissing scenes or playful banter. This isn't Benedict and Beatrice who are. You know, yeah, it's a short pining and then they're gone. Yeah, right? yeah. and then they see each other at the very end again, yeah. right? So yeah. it seems like their love is a very 
pure they're married yeah sensibly yeah. yeah but there's no like fallen woman kind of banter none of that happens between the two of them so like the sexual connotation of their relationship is kind of yeah, yeah it's set aside yeah um whereas it's for front and center with the, the other, other two yeah. men who you know want to sleep with her yeah. and it's pure it's purely based on this physical attraction yeah. and eros right yeah yeah no, that's a good point. but in a rapey way <laughs> absolutely yeah very rapey yeah and it's not the, that's the only characters who again because there's only the one female character mm-hmm. that's the only one and it's it is kind of counteracted by the two brothers who love yeah. her immediately in this purest sense you yes. know because they're like they call each other brothers yeah right away and it's it's yeah on I mean, on site so again physicality yeah. plays yeah. a role yeah. but it's a very pure very different kind of love like i will well, it's masculine too yeah, right? it is. like that, yeah. that's that's part of the complication yeah. but it feels like imogen just has people loving her as soon as they see her, well, no matter what. Can you blame him? Imogen's kind of great. Well, I do like especially Imogen Especially when it's Helen Mirren. Well, yeah, just this say. GBC did a good job casting. In 1982. <laughs> if I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So this episode's ancient bickerings. We are going to discuss whose deceit amongst the many deceitful characters <laughs> in the play uh, is the most horrendous, the most dastardly, the, the most evil of of all the deceits in the world. Um, and Lindsay, I have a good answer, so I'm just going to go. Okay, I'm not even ask go for it. it. Uh, it's the queen. Okay. Uh, and I think that's self-evident by the fact that it takes another character like a page and a half to just describe <laughs> all the things that she's lied about. Oh my god! And she is such a non-entity in the play. That's that's what I love about her in this in this play is she's the evil stepmom who isn't beating up her stepdaughter or torturing her or anything like that. It is literally just lies and omissions mm-hmm. that are pushing her down this path mm-hmm. um, towards being the evil stepmom. Um, and it's it's so well done in the few moments that she is on stage Mm. um she's you know she's and it's small things like she's driving uh uh cymbeline to push the romans away and deny them Mm -hmm. think she wants a war with rome so that you know maybe all the other people will die and just it'll be her and clotus left over like she's just constantly scheming but it's so subtle and and minuscule and yet she sets in motion most of the major things of this play, like getting Imogen to try and he's trying, she's trying to get uh, Cloten married to Imogen, which starts off the whole kick posthumous out and mm-hmm. all these other issues, right? Like she is poisoning, she, for a, a character who's not on stage very much, poisons another character who's not mm-hmm. on stage very much, Cymbeline, to great, great effect. Uh, and I love the the five or six things that the the doctor has to come in and be like, wait, there's more, you know, like there's just this whole yeah, okay. never ending stream of of lies from her, and I okay. think that's 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 why she's the evilest. Okay. What what do you what do you got? I think it's the obvious answer is Yakmo. Okay. Um, yeah. I think that his, unlike the queen, we already talked about this. Unlike the queen, Yakmo's. Um, uh, deceit is based in something that is so not necessary, so not an, a factor. He's just like, like he doesn't he doesn't like this guy, so he's gonna completely ruin his life. Like there's just no real motivation there. Like they meet, and he's just like, I hate you, so I'm gonna seduce your wife and prove to you that she's not faithful. And then he goes down this dark path and he gets, I I just, I think that the scene where he's like, he's orchestrated this whole story. He goes to Imogen. He says, your husband uh, implies that he's been so, you know, uh, 
not faithful in yeah, Rome yeah. just to test her because then she gets upset. And he's like, no, that was just a test. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding here. I have this trunk that I'm going to. And, and he plots a whole other, you know, thing where he's going to like be in the trunk that's brought into her room so that it can be kept safe. And then he sneaks out of the trunk. And like while she's sleeping, he's like counting the moles on her body, like and then goes back to Rome and says all of this in a nasty way to imply that he's, you know, done the deed with, with posthumous wife and, and sets this guy on like a murderous <laughs> rampage. Yeah. Like Iacomo is so scheming. I just, I just can't. Yeah. His, both the queen and Iacomo, their deeds end up causing great harm to Imogen. But I think that, the bigger betrayal mm. is from posthumous to Imogen. But I mean, yeah. So and the, that's, that's, that's set under case, but I mean, it's not like, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think, I think your, your, your point about motivation is a good one because yeah, Yakimo is just like, Oh, he's British. I don't like him. He walks in. I don't like him. I'm going to bang his wife. And it makes no sense. And it's just there. And it just happens. It's mm-hmm. very this play. You Which know, there's may, no character yeah, no. motivation. <laughs> and it's fine. Whereas the queen, I feel like there is a whole character there that we get tiny yeah. little glimpses of. Yeah. And you're right. I think it makes a lot more sense what she does and all her lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas his are just more evil. Just straight up Well, evil. the fact so, that there's no reason for it makes yeah. it more evil. and makes it more scary in a way that yeah. he could just like turn on a dime. And that there are people like that in the world who, who just for no other reason. My dad was talking about this at Christmas where he was like one of my mom's cousins. Yeah, like just right. hated him yeah. for no reason. Just, no reason whatsoever. Met, just didn't like him. He was just like, I don't like this guy. Yeah. And so my dad and him never got along. And this cousin died a, a long, long time ago. Yeah. But this is the memory that yeah. they all have about this one cousin who just hated my dad yeah. for no good reason. And it's like there are people out there who will, who are like that. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's sad, but it's also a little bit scary because they could just decide one day. Anybody could just decide one day that they don't like you and they're going to make your life miserable. Yeah. And and maybe lie and get you to believe that your wife is a whore and you should kill her. Yeah, sure. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. By the way, Liz. Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's not that you're. That's really not, not that yeah. you're going to like disbelieve the lies, but you know, I am a faithful person. <laughs> yeah, that's you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say good night till it be morrow. So, Aiden, where are we off to next in the podcast? Next we are off to, well, I I misspoke earlier when I said the next uh, play episode, because the next episode is also about plays, yes, but they're, they're the apocryphal, so-called yes. apocryphal plays, the plays where uh, Shakespeare was probably involved. We, we did include one or two of them in our canonical discussions mm-hmm. of individual plays. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned that a couple times. Um, but these are the ones that are pretty well understood. Things yeah. like Henry VIII, where it's almost for sure that he had a role in it. It yeah. was, of course, the last play put on at the Globe before it, it burned, burned down. down. So uh, we probably won't be talking in depth about uh, each of the plays. Not in, the way that we do with these play episodes. No. But I mean, talking about... I think the, the fascinating thing about the apocryphal plays is how scientific the approach is to determining yeah. who 
wrote what. Yeah. And the fact that you can even do that, that there's like a literary forensics or whatever it's yeah. called that you can focus in on, you know, and it's not handwriting. It's like scansion and, you know, types of words used and things to determine, oh, Shakespeare wrote this part of the play. I think that's fascinating. So um, talking about that with plays like Henry VIII or All is True. Yeah. Two Noble Kinsmen. Um, there, there are a few others that um, have Shakespeare's grubby little paw prints all over. Yeah. Um, so, Shakespeare, yeah. in my mind, is a dog. <laughs> paw prints? Why did I say paw prints? <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. That's After great. that, After. we are at the final play of yes. Shakespeare's, um, The Tempest, which yeah. is uh, his swan song. I think yeah. um, people will... You, you'd be hard-pressed to disagree with that yeah. statement. Yeah. Um, so I can't believe we're, like, here at the end of... Do you remember when we discussed this podcast? And we're like, yes. we should do Shakespeare next. Like, we're insane. And yeah. here we are. We've been insane three for years three years. and one pandemic later. Yeah. <laughs> We've been trapped inside too long, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's a very this clear is, sign. This yeah. is our Bo Burnham thing, <laughs> right? Just the slow descent into madness yeah. categorized or cataloged, sorry, on, yeah. well, I'm categorized yeah. on a podcast. Yeah, it's yeah, great. It's, it's great. great. It's good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us for this episode. We're looking forward to those next couple ones. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll we'll see what the future holds after that. Um, I'm Aiden. I'm Lindsay. And this has been the Bix Pod. <laughs> We've you, never done never this done before. that. That's weird. Maybe we should sign off on all of our podcasts like that. You think so? Maybe. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.